0: We've got a, another luminary, and Absolutely. that is John Ellis. And uh, he's rank, uh, from Hanging Rock Wines in Macedon. Not sure if, uh, if our listeners um, uh, do know them. Uh, Christopher, I dare say you do. Text us in, though, if, if you have heard, let us know which ones. Um, but uh, do we have John on the phone? We do. Excellent. Good, good morning, good John. Morning. How are you?
1: Very well, thanks, Jill.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. So I've got Richo here as well. We're, um, we're going to give you a grilling. Are you up for it?
1: I, I will see. I was just going to add a little bit of your to your Brian Crozer story. Um, he and I pretty much started together. We occupied a caravan at Leo Buring's in the nineteen seventy vintage. Oh wow. Goodness, man. good reasoning. Yeah. <laughs> so we, I had we a feeling you guys there are know each other. tales to tell, but not over radio. <laughs> <laughs> Were
2: you, was that with uh, sort of John Vickery in those sort of days? Was he it around? It was. Yeah.
1: was. He was our boss. Um, he used to throw stones under the roof of the caravan. I'd like, oh, get up with those
2: you <laughs> Come know? on, at six in the morning, get up. This
1: worked. To yeah, that's fun. right. That's after you'd finished at three. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> Very hard work doing vintage, no doubt. Oh,
1: well, with JV.
0: with seems J- like... J- uh... Oz,
1: that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It seems like you guys—you um, guys are marrying very well into families. so like Crows is marrying into Bollinger, and you marry into Tyrrells. And um, uh, well, she was known as the the Princess of the Hunter at the time, I believe. Your wife Anne.
1: Well, she didn't like that. That's why we left.
0: <laughs> 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 Baring the Turk, we actually had uh, her brother Bruce on uh, just before Christmas, and um, yeah, yeah. He's, he's he's a great guy. That was a very very fun, interesting interview. They oh. I, I just cleaned up the uh, their awards for the um the that one semi on. Yes. Wine. wine, great wine. But look, let's let's talk about your wines, um, and let's talk about your region. You're you're in the coolest great growing region in the world, so your cool climate wines are are, are well, pretty not... outstanding
1: not in the world but certainly it's the coolest in australia
0: in australia there we go Mm. but you do have like a some sort of like unobstructed line to antarctica that speaks volumes
1: Um, our our own vineyard is very much exposed to the south and uh when the wind blows it blows yes yeah Yeah,
2: anyone who's been out there knows there's a pretty cool southerly coming up there. I mean, <laughs> when it comes to that, obviously, when you we started to plant, you were thinking about, you know, sparkling varieties and that sort of thing. But how did the Shiraz, the sort of Macedon Shiraz thing come around?
1: Well, um, we've never planted Shiraz here. Yeah. Um, uh, you have to go a fair bit north. A bit, um, bit further north. got Shiraz planted, and so is Alan yep. Cooper. Yeah. Uh, that's over the Cobalt Ranges, a little bit more protected. Ah, okay, yeah,
2: because it's know, not going to get right And facing
1: there. facing north as well. Yeah. Whereas we're facing south, so we get don't get a lot of uh, radiation heat.
2: Yeah, right. Okay, so it's pretty much just like you know you are actually just thinking about. Well, when you planted, were you just thinking about sparkling wine?
1: We were. Yeah. That was that was it. The, we bought the property in uh, in nineteen. What was it? Nineteen eighty two. Um, and it was the, with the sole intention of growing grapes for sparkling wine. Yeah,
0: right. So we actually were just talking about—I'm not sure how much you you got of it—but Chardonnay with Brian, and talking about Piccadilly Valley Chardonnay, and that as opposed to a, 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 a much cooler climate Chardonnay. Obviously, differences are, are quite extreme. But um, you were—you uh, were one of the first to produce a cool climate Chardonnay in Australia. Is that right?
1: Well. Um uh, I worked for Peter Tisdall, um, and we had the Mount Helen Vineyard, and that was an extensive Chardonnay vineyard. It was regarded by many as, and I think it's true, as the the largest planting of Chardonnay in cool climate Australia. Um, that was in the Strathbogie Ranges, um, and that I I lobbed there in 1979, and um, had to learn how to do it. And
2: he's, uh, he was based out in, uh, in Echuca or something, is that right?
1: Yeah, the winery was in Echuca, yes.
2: Because yeah. yes. you've got so – there's also St Anne's or St Andrew's or something around there. Yes, a, a yeah, St probably, Anne's, that's,
1: yeah. a, that's in the Paracuta region, which yeah. is essentially on the other side of the Murray River.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because I, I grew up – my mum and dad are from that – or mum's from um, Mathara, which is pretty mm-hmm. pretty near there, and, and dad's from uh, – well, he came from Griffith, but via Daniloquin. Growing up there, I didn't well going there on every family Christmas and you know during Easter and whatnot. I didn't realize there was a lot of viticulture around there. So the the Tisdall things pretty they were pretty famous for a while, weren't they?
1: Well, Peter Tisdall, I regard him as an absolute visionary um, in in the history of the Victorian wine industry because he he planted a two hundred acre vineyard at Picola, and then not content with that, um, he uh, he then went looking for land in the Strathbogie Ranges and planted the Mount Helen Vineyard. Right. And when I went to work for him, I had um, reputedly the largest Chardonnay vineyard and perhaps the largest Pinot vineyard as well. But I had 75% of all of the Merlot grown in Australia at that time.
2: <laughs> 75% of huh.
1: all the Merlot in Australia? <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> That's what, awesome. What was he, was he a visionary or not? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I reckon he was.
2: Oh, come on, yeah. I reckon he was. That's awesome. Yeah. But yeah. We're, we're getting some pretty good stats today, Jill, with some of this stuff. Yeah, we really are. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing, 75% of all. Well, I guess it just goes to show that really when you get guys like John on, they're real pioneers of what they do. We talk about pioneers, and, but, but these guys are true visionaries. who were planting in regions that had nothing else going on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's thanks to them the reason that we have this amazing pick and that we have jobs.
2: Yeah, well, we, yes, yeah, so I take my hat off to you, sir. That's amazing.
1: Oh, I, I wasn't the first here. Um, right. Um, Virgin Hills was the first in the modern industry.
2: Okay.
1: Um, and uh, and they encouraged the Knight family to plant
2: uh, Granite Hills, um,
1: yep. And uh, we got to know, know them fairly well. Um, and Gordon Cope Williams was also um, he'd started down the sparkling wine path before we arrived um, but yes there was a big influx about that time so I don't think together we can claim to have created a wine region but uh, um, don't, don't attribute it to any one of us. <laughs> no,
2: it's a, yeah, no, it's an awesome yeah. thing to sort of celebrate oh. and reflect. And, I, look, I've just had a question come through from one of our listeners. Uh, he said he's a, he's a fan of the Hanging Rock Winery, but he wants to know what you grow at your Jim Jim Vineyard. Can you tell us a little bit about that, please, John? Well, mm.
1: it was originally planted just to Pinot Noir and Chardonnay for sparkling wine. Yep. Um, and then we got a bit excited about um, some other varieties, um, I reasoned that if Lou Knight could uh, make great Riesling, then we should be able to as well, so I planted some Riesling. Um, and, of course, we then jumped on the Pinot Gris bandwagon. Um, Annie, my wife, had always loved Geverse tremina and uh, uh, we planted some of that. Um, so um, we, we've ended up with uh, a bit more than just uh, Pinot Noir and Chardonnay.
0: Yeah, we just you make a pretty ambience. good Sauvignon Blanc at Jim Jim Vineyard, don't you?
1: And we and we were we were pretty much the only people to plant Sauvignon Blanc in the mm. in the Macedon Ranges, and it's not true now, but it's but it's close. Yeah.
0: Mm. I'd like sparkling to hit, is okay. your love though, isn't it? Like that's your well, that's that's, that's why, why we came thing. here.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what about, Um, uh,
0: you've you've got the Heathcote Shiraz that, uh, well, there's another story there.
1: There's another story there, yes. When I was working for Peter Tisdall, I was approached by the owners of the, then owners of the Mount Ida vineyard. Um, There was uh, Leonard French and Jim Munro. And uh, can you make our wine for us? Sure. Um, So um, we uh, we did, and... um, and we were very pleased with the outcome. And with, with that in mind, I kept a very close eye on what was happening in, uh, in the Heathcote region um, as, as it was growing. Um, and uh, these days, it's a huge region geographically um, with huge acreages of, um, of premium grapes. There's no doubt about that.
2: And coming back to the sparkling, John. I mean, you've got quite a little, a lot of different uh, products that you make there, from the non-vintage up to some sort of late disgorged stuff. So, what is it about the different varieties there that makes them great for sparkling? And why do you grow so many? why do you make so many different kinds of sparkling varieties?
1: Well, um, first question is. Um uh, is what, what's the, the, the unique attribute to, to, for sparkling wine. It's yep. that the grapes develop their flavor while re- retaining their acidity. Yep. Um, and uh, um, that just means that if the planets align, um, you pick your grapes with optimum flavor but with heaps of acidity and you need that for sparkling wine.
2: Yeah, it carries the flavour, doesn't it? Oh, and, and so right. then you've got your non vintage, there's a rose, I know this is sparkling Shiraz, yes. and then a couple of different cuves. What about you? You've got your late disgorged and then your sort of the regular non vintage cuve, which well, is. Well, the non
1: vintage cuve and the late disgorged are essentially the same wine. That's late. The word late gives you the difference. Yep. Uh, instead of about three or four years on yeast lees, um, we re release it with 10 years on yeast lees.
2: Yeah, which is awesome.
1: And uh, uh, the wines certainly demonstrate the extra reward for that patience.
2: Yeah, I guess my, the, the question I was coming to out of that was, have you ever thought about and have you ever previously made a vintage sparkling wine that was a Blanc?
1: Well, it, we thought about that from, from day dot, but uh, it very, we very quickly realised that that would be... Um, an extraordinary thing to do, and would be a very unreliable thing to do. Yeah, <laughs> um, because we had in our first few vintages. The first vintage was was um, uh, uh, eight, 85.
2: Yep,
1: and eighty seven it was. And mm-hmm. um, um, along the way we'd had drought. blend, which was eventually bottled and then sold as Macedon 1. Yeah, right. And now we're up to Macedon 17.
2: And it's, um, it's, it's good to have all those sort of reserve wines in there too, right? So up to probably, oh, well, what, half of the wine might be some re, the, the reserve wines?
1: Well, what, what we do is every year we put the blend together and then we keep half of it, put it back on yeast lees in barrel and bottle. Uh, barrel and, sorry, not on, not on bottle, barrel and tank. Tank, yeah. And um, uh, and then it sits there and waits for it all to happen again the following year when we line everything up again and put the next blend together. Um, so it's always 50% reserve. And some of that reserve goes all the way back to 1987.
2: Yeah, great. Right back to that first vintage. Yes, yes, yes. That's
0: fantastic. So, John, your your son uh, is a winemaker as well, Robert, and uh, is is Ruth uh, also? are they both involved?
1: Yes, they are. Um, it's a, it's absolutely out of light. If you have a reason for being, that you can create something that your kids want to be part of, that's the best reason to being. Oh, that's
0: fantastic. Yeah. Uh, absolutely, so no, that's beautiful.
1: Yeah, so um, Rob's it's, it's, our winemaker. Uh, he took over from me um, in two thousand and. Uh, 10, 11, 2011. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm getting some prompts now. Annie's just come back (laughs) from doing some shopping. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And and Ruth Ruth, uh, went and got herself a a BMW, a Bachelor of the Marketing of Wine (laughs) at uh, Adelaide (laughs) Uni. And uh, so she came back to be our sales and marketing manager. And together they run the business now. I'm I'm just, I'm just the figurehead, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it's pretty well, incredible. It's, well, the only problem with that, of course, is my dad wasn't a winemaker, so I didn't inherit any vineyards. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> that, <that's laughs> that, that. It's an incredible. Th- like the process, though, for our listeners, if you could just talk a little bit, because you've got to firstly you've got to plant a vineyard and grow the grapes, then you've got to make the still wines. You've got to pick them pretty early, and they're they're very. T- I don't know how do you make sparkling wine. It, it's like a massive. I know there's art and science, but it's it's very difficult to do. So I mean,
1: the incredible <laughs> amount of art in in there. Yeah. Um, Knowing, having a guess at what it's going to look like after it's been through another fermentation in the bottle.
2: Exactly, it's all about seeing into the future, isn't it? It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Ah, yeah. I just, just, I've tasted those base wines, and they're acidic. They're hard.
1: Yeah, they 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 take the enamel off your teeth.
2: Exactly. So it's incredible. I'd I'd never do it myself. It's too hard.
0: It's actually wonderful now that we've been able to open up and we go back to having wine dinners, et cetera. The actual reason why I I called John to get him on, apart from the fact that wines are great, Mm. um, is because a very good friend of mine went to a dinner in Melbourne and met Robert. And Robert's wife, and he, uh, and he said, "Oh, Jill, you've got to, you've got to get these guys on the show because they're amazing." Robert obviously told him his story and the story, of, and of his, of his parents. And um, it, it turns out that my friend walked away with a few cases, literally a few cases of wine that <laughs> night. So they did, they did rather well. But it's quite a fun way to actually meet and explore wines and actually meet winemakers. All this world opening up again—it's very exciting.
1: We'll have to do more of it, Jill.
0: Mm. That's exactly right, Michelle. Yeah. So, so may I ask, on Australia Day, where whereabouts are you going to be?
1: Um, we, on Australia Day, um, we've got a big barbecue here for um, for our visitors. Um, we, we'll probably have a couple of hundred people here during the day, and uh, oh. we we grow beef as well. Oh. So, um, yes, I did know you were cattle farmers. Yeah. Mm. Um, so uh, we'll be uh, testing the beef on the ravi, yeah. Mm. yeah. Of
0: course we will, but what are you going to be pairing with it from a wine perspective?
1: Oh, that's a, Our beef is definitely Heathcote Shiraz material.
0: Getting some of your Heathcote Shiraz or, or something yeah. else? No, it'll be Heathcote, yes. Excellent, yeah. I, excellent. I can yeah, also excellent. say
2: from personal experience, the the late Disgorged Cuvée, I reckon with some of your meat, but steak tartare. I love drinking like really kind of creamy, old school, yeasty champagne style sparkling mm-hmm. sparkling wines with steak tartare. It goes really well together. Yeah. Or Carp- carpaccio yeah. as well. So, yes,
1: yes, yeah, I think quite quite right there. We have we have, we have the closest we've got to carpaccio is uh, Brasola. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah, cool. Air, air dried. Yeah, lovely. Uh, silver side. Yeah, um, and yep. You're right. If you've got that extra flavour length in the sparkling wine, you can put those two together as well too.
0: Absolutely. Anything dried and anything raw. <laughs> <That's
1: right. laughs> we just seem
2: to be scared. Like there's, there are rules with wine and they're made to be broken. So I know that like back in the day when Didier Dagenau was around and he'd pour his you know, May, or whatever, he'd always serve his Sauvignon Blanc out with a big piece of old meat. So, like, yeah. l- literally the bottom line is, like, why not have sparkling and red meat? Like Absolutely. A, like, just experiment and have fun with it, you know? Yep, yep. More Ultimately, if you like to eat and you like well. to
0: drink it, pair it.
2: Yeah, yep. and also, like, if you, unless you're having, like, a 10-course degustation with 10 matched beverages... You're only having the wine and the food if you're just cooking one meal, like just at that one time. So, like, it's kind of, you know, I think we get a bit obsessed about it. So anything homegrown, I think it's great. The cattle, obviously, they're going to eat your leftover grapes after you've fermented and things. So it's like a little well, um, life cycle.
1: No, unfortunately, you've got to be careful in that regard. Oh, okay. We, uh, we do feed um, the stalks out to them. Right. Um, and uh, the... Uh, the, the even the white and sparkling grape skins have got too much acid in them, and uh, oh, they right. end up going straight through them.
2: Right, okay. So, if so you were. They if you actually
1: were... lose weight on them rather than gaining.
2: Yeah, right. Oh, that's interesting. What about. So, then have you ever thought about making
1: like a grappa
2: or something from the used grape mark or like a something like that?
1: Um, to, to do anything in that regard, you need to be a distiller. Yep. So I've done some distilling in my my past history yep and I'm uh, I'm actually pretty good at it but um, you no, also don't. have to be licensed to do it right okay and um, so we can't
2: talk it, about it on air but he's done it that's what he's saying even,
1: <laughs> even if I had, a, had it sounds like had that. that license um, there's a lot there's a, an immense amount of investment needed in uh, in spirits yeah um, quite quite incredible because again it's a rewards of um, it's time. Patience. Yeah, diminished returns. Yeah. I'd still yeah. like to see
2: producers yeah. do something like with that. Well, I it think.
1: would be would be interesting. It would be. Sure. That'd be cool. Yeah. <laughs> I have I have made some efforts in that direction. Um, okay, cool. To, to buy a still, um, but it didn't. It came to naught. Right. Yeah.
0: Well. I look forward to seeing what you end up doing. You'll probably be instilling it uh, through through Robert as well, so uh, we'll see what you're doing. But at the moment, I'm just looking forward to trying out some of your Macedon sparkling. I oh, hear yeah. the Envy is just beautiful, so I'll get my hands on some of that. Look, uh, it's been wonderful to have you on, John. Thank you so much for your time. And again, having two industry luminaries in a row, the stories. It's awesome. So you enjoy. Have a great Australia Day, and uh, I look forward to, uh, to meeting you in person when I get down to Macedon Ranges.
1: Thank you very much, Jill, and we we'll look forward to meeting you too.